1: Hello and welcome to the Motormouth Mouth Podcast with Harry Benjamin and Tim Sylvie. This is the place where we meet some of the biggest names in and around motorsport, chat about their lives and everything in between. Did you know that Motor Mouth is on Patreon? Yes, you can support your favourite podcast if you want. And in return, we've got some great goodies and bonus content to give you. Just search Motormouth Mouth Official on Patreon where there are three levels of membership. Become a Motormouth Mouth companion for just £5 per month with our eternal thanks, early act To all podcast episodes ad free. If you fancy going for £7.50 per month and becoming a motormouth associate, That means you can ask your own questions to our guests as well as enjoy ad-free early access to every single podcast. And if you're an absolute Motormouth legend and want to do £10 per month, you will get an official Motormouth baseball cap, a personal thank you on the actual show from us and everything else, including ad-free early access and the opportunity to ask a question. Just search Motormouth Official on Patreon or follow the links in the detail of this podcast. Your support means everything to us and keeps us going, so thank you.
0: Before we kick off with today's... Guest, we have a brand new sponsor for season five. It feels like kind of a momentous day for us. Sponsors are totally vital for our survival and ensure we can continue to bring you interviews with the biggest names in racing. So, this episode of the Motormouth podcast, I am absolutely delighted to say, is sponsored by the lovely team over at Motus One, a company I've had the pleasure of working with on many occasions. If you or your company require event transportation, Dana and his team at Motors One have you covered anywhere in the world. From a single chauffeur driven sedan to a fleet of luxury SUVs, even Teslas or motor coaches. They provide world class service to ensure your transportation requirements are totally and utterly seamless. You might be an events management company that needs cars and drivers to transport your VIPs. You might be a venue that needs to transfer talent or a brand that sponsors an event. Maybe you're a team or a major sporting spectacle, including Formula One and Formula E. It doesn't matter. You can find your transportation solution with Motus One. With offices all over the world, including the Middle East, Europe and Africa, they can support your transportation needs regardless of location. Motus One is committed to world-class service at the best rates to ensure your event goes without a hitch. Contact them at motus1.com. We'll put all their social links in the podcast description. And a huge, huge thanks to Dana, their CEO and founder, to have faith in our show and join us for season five. Now on with today's episode.
1: This week as we kick off season 5 of the Motormouth podcast, I know where has the time gone but I think this may just be our best season yet. We've got an absolute treat of a series lined up for you too and we're kicking off today with none other than 8 time Formula 1 race winner he's had his fair share of teammate battles too, he's even stood on the podium at Le Mans, he's no number 2 driver this week's guest is Mark Weber, thank you so much to you guys who continue to download and listen if you like it, please do leave us review, it really helps us to get bigger and enjoy.
0: Welcome to the Motor Mouth Podcast. My name's Tim Sylvie, but before we introduce today's guest, I need to head across to the English county of Essex, which did you know is rumoured to be the birthplace of Robert the Bruce. Yes, many believe that the great Scottish hero was in fact born at Montpellier Farm in Rittle, near Chelmsford in 1274, and you thought I was done with my Essex-based facts. However, we're not here to indulge in my otherworldly historical knowledge of the UK's most tanned city. We're here in this opening segment to introduce my co-host Harry. Benjamin, how are you? Wow, thank you, Tim. I really thought you'd dried up all all the Essex
1: facts possible. So I I think everybody knows that I do live in Essex now. So um, if you need to contact me, just search for Essex (laughs) and you won't be that far away um i'm very well thank you tim um i had a holiday planned and had to cancel it again because of hashtag tier two very yeah. upset about that yeah but powering on back in the mini studio it's good
0: to be back in kicking off season five yeah absolutely i managed to squeeze in my short uh, staycation mm. uh, turkey went out the window dubai disappeared and we ended up in norfolk getting wet but there we are that's uh, that the perils of covid anyway enough of our rambling Shall we introduce today's guest Yeah, let's do it. So today could well be the biggest day in Motormouth podcast history. We've had Buamy, Coulthard, Chandock, Hartley, Cassidy, Rob Smedley. We've had Pinkham, Crofty, Brooks, Connor Daly, to name a few. But today, listeners, we have a nine-time Formula One Grand Prix winner, a World Endurance Champion, surely one of the biggest names in global motorsport history, who is now part of the Channel 4 commentary team covering Formula One. It's our honour and pleasure to welcome Mark Webber to the Motormouth podcast. (laughs) M, Haza, good morning. <laughs> good
1: morning, Mark. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, I always love it when uh, we, we talk to people and they position it so, so lovely in their little Zoom window that you see all their trophies in the background. It's very, uh, it's, a, it's a nice, a well, nice view for well, yeah, us. Yeah, it's, it's a bit over the top. I'm not here much
2: actually, um, and I don't have at uh, whether it's Australia, whether it's. Uh, Monaco where I spent some time where it's UK. I have no no trophies on display in this room actually does. So um, yeah. Well so where are you now? Yeah, I'm actually in the UK at the moment, but going to Monaco. Yes, back to
1: back to back to base. Nice. Well, so tell us obviously from Australia, growing up, what what was it like in your formative years? Where did you spend the majority of time and and for that racing bug? When did it hit you?
2: Yeah, look, mate, I was really lucky. Um, I grew up in a in a country town actually, so very rural which was important for my passion because uh, that meant I could ride motorbikes from a young age. So um, my dad had a very small motorbike dealership and two petrol bowsers um, out the front of his workshop there. So he used to pump fuel and um, sell motorbikes and leathers and helmets and gloves and, and all the rest of the stuff that come with that. So, um, yeah, I was very lucky to grow up in a in a very big sporting community because sport was important for, for, for Queenby near Canberra. Um, that's where I grew up. And, yeah, we had... A Bit of a hobby farm as well on the weekends, which we used to go and use the toys. So, for me to drive trucks and tractors and motorbikes and go karts and all that stuff at a really young age was, was, uh, I thought it was well, I knew it wasn't normal, but it was actually, I really did take it for granted knowing that, um, just having that space and room, um, which we have so much of in clearly in Australia, as you know, it's Mm. a bit different to the UK. But, um, yeah, so that was really cool. Um, and so from si- age of six, I suppose, on motorbikes through to, to 12, when I started to get the bug really, really aggressively that I
1: thought I wanted to compete. And, yeah, the rest is history. Was there anything in, in your family which sort of spurred you on to do it or was it completely you just like the look of it?
2: Dad loved uh, single seater racing, so um, he used to hitchhike to Warwick Farm, which is around a three-hour hitchhike up to watch um, Jimmy Clark and Jack Brabham and, and Jack Jackie Stewart in the, in the Tasman Series. Um, they used to come down down under in the in the in the winter, their summer, to race in New Zealand and Australia. So that was a really a big bug mm. in a healthy way for my dad because he he was fascinated with these these heroes that raced the cars in the sixties and seventies. And but that's it. You know, um, no, my dad never competed. Um, He's a good driver, but uh, yeah, but he never, um, yeah, he never raced. So uh, I was the first cab off the rank, and um, that was it. I was happy. I'm not a son (laughs) of.
1: Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) yes, I suppose a lot, a lot of people don't really like that brush. I suppose it's two sides of that what's yeah. the word uh, lesser of two evils I suppose yeah. But, yeah, yeah,
0: um, yeah. great what, what was the Australian racing scene like in the in the junior categories in the 90s when you're working your way up through the sport was it a, Was there a big scene there tell, tell us a little bit about uh, that
2: yeah pretty light mate to be honest the go karts I mean it was competitive but pretty thin fields like it was it was I had to travel, of course, so, you know, it was, it was all well and good being a bit of a legend in your own know, backyard, but, you know, the go-kart track, which was thankfully only, you know, about five kilometers from the workshop, that was another fluke in itself, so that was that was positive, but I, I quickly became quite competitive locally, so you need to travel um, and, and race at bigger events in Sydney and Melbourne and whatnot. But I was quite big for karting as well. I was, I did have a bit of a growth spurt, which was very frustrating. I was probably the only guy in the world that wanted to be a short ass. Um, but um, so And uh, I did for my whole career want to be a short ass and be lighter. <laughs> but it, it wasn't the case. Does, does how tall hit? are you? Yeah. Oh, now I'm 108. Well, now, when I say, well, then I was whatever I was, 12, 13, too tall. Yeah, <laughs> um, and now I'm 183 centimeters. So now I'm fine with it. Of course, like I'm happy to yeah. be. Well, guess what? I've got no frigging choice about it. Any, anyway. <laughs> it, it is what it
0: is, boys. But um, so yeah, I travelled. Um, Mark, so go how, to how how much of an impact does that have at carting at, at that stage? Because I've had this age old argument with my wife who claims she's a better carter than I am, and I'm like, well, that's just because you weigh nothing. Can I stand by that argument, or am I onto something? You can, uh, but you're going to have to tell me how, she, how much your wife weighs. Well, she's probably like, uh, she, she won't listen to this, so I don't care. She's probably about, yeah. oh, God, in kilos, I don't know. She's five, she, She's slim and five foot six, okay. so i say she's she, 60 kilos,
2: something like that? Yeah, mid-fifties, yeah. 50, 60 kilos, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah so, so
0: what do you weigh? So I weigh – oh, God, it's bloody kilos. So I, I, I'm 13 stone 12, whatever that is, in kilograms. Yeah.
2: Okay. So, yeah, you're definitely heavy there. We? we know
0: that. that so yeah. it's not going
2: to help. Yeah. So, um, yeah, no, go-karting, also my size and just the way it was. It mm. is, it, uh, as DC would call it, it's a, it's a, it's a mini-man sport in yeah. many ways. Um, and David has a phobia with short people. He really <coughs> – short men. Short men, he struggles with short men. Short racing drivers, he really loves taking the, the piss out of. But um, <laughs> Fair. um but uh, anyway, that's what it was, mate. I uh, I had to deal with. Uh, that was my passion. Yeah. I loved it. You know, every day I woke up and wanted to to compete and race. And um, you know, the size when I got then into car racing, it was much easier for me to be more competitive. Mm. Um, because casting was. <laughs> And also Dad was pretty clever. Like he didn't spend a fortune there. Not that he had a fortune, but he had a little bit more to spend on Formula Ford in, in Australia, which is still answer your question there, buddy, in terms of the, the Formula Fords was quite quite popular again. It was on national TV. We had like 40 car grids at the big races, mm-hmm. which was great. Um so yeah, that's what we did. Um and, was, and I raced in Australia for a few years and then I came to Europe. Was,
1: was and, and was Formula One the, the goal? Was that in sight from the beginning?
2: I think oh, of course, mate. I mean I watched a lot of it, they were my heroes. Yes, um, delusional that I was ever going to happen. Like if you knew where I grew up, um, you know, it's just the odds were ridiculous. It was never going to happen. But you know, I, I you know, just took each literally. It's it's a very, you know, it's cliche ish, but um, you know, every every hmm. little hurdle in, a, in in my path is gave it a hundred percent and didn't really take no for an answer. I didn't really have a plan B, mate, To be honest, it was just like this was going to happen. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it wasn't until I started to win in Europe that I believe that I was a chance of making Formula One. I mean, you can do well in Australia, but you know you need to you need to be doing well in Europe to actually start to cut the mustard.
0: How did you find that move to Europe? You're obviously you know you're, you're Aussie grit. We know that you're you know you're a pretty um, tough, straight-talking character. But at, at that age, at that point in your career, how was it the move mentally for you? Did you find that an easy thing, an easy transition to do? And did you come over on your own, or were you supported?
2: Yeah, um, well I come over on my own to a, to a degree and my my wife now she was with me as well, but she was back here anyway, so it was really from from my immediate family. Yes, I was I was on my own. Um and look, I think that it's all relative. When you when you cuz people talk about oh, all the sacrifices you made, I didn't make any sacrifices. I didn't see like what was what was the other other option? The other option was, you know, work at dad's workshop or uh, do something else. I mean, you know, curriculum for me was a challenge because I love my sports. I was, I was, I was mischievous. I was, I was pretty loose at school. Um, and I didn't have too many other back, uh, you know, fallbacks. So for me to, to come to Europe, it was like, this is, this is awesome. This is phenomenal. You know, I've just flown the other side of the world and I'm going to try and race cars here. And, and yes, you know, you know, naivety is blessed, mate. You don't know what you don't know. You don't know. You know, it's great. You know, if you look back now, you're like, shit, what was I thinking? You know, this was, was mental, mental. How optimistic I thought I was. But, you know, the weather's tough, the long winters, whatever. Blah. blah you know. But is it a catastrophe? No. Crack on. Um, so yeah, it was. It was. I had to be quite matter of fact about that period for the first year and a half and I got back to Australia at some points because I couldn't afford to you know go to and fro. But you know I went back there a little bit homesick just thinking, oh you know, maybe I can how can I do this from living from Australia? Like absolutely no chance, of <laughs> course. But in your head you're trying to think maybe it's maybe I'm the first guy that can do it like this. I and mean, it's never gonna happen. Yeah. You've got to you've got to be fully immersed over here. And and that mm. was the end. I went back for Australia for I was supposed to go back for two weeks. I think I was back there five days and thought everyone's in the same spot doing the same thing. And I'm going to get back over there. Yeah, yeah. And that, I guess the
0: the 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 competitive side of things in Europe is obviously going to be higher than it was was in Australia. When, when you came over and you started racing over here, were you thinking, "Oh crap, the, these guys are good," or were you immediately on the pace? Uh, well, the depth was. It was just a lot more. It was
2: just a lot more competitive. Yes, the the ultimate. The ultimate lap time was probably a little bit more competitive, yes. It was certainly it was a bit stronger. Um, but the way they raced, the, the depth of the field, it wasn't just the top five. It was like you now we're talking the top 15, top 20 were really, really, really handy. Um, so the penalty for mistakes, the penalty for, you know, missing a 10th in qualifying, it wasn't that you were, you know, fourth on the grid, you were 10th. Um, so it's all those things, mate, yeah. So it's, it's basically the the, the, the stakes just, got, just kept ramping up and
1: getting higher and higher. Mm. Now, in the build-up to uh, Formula One, a, a lot of people obviously, and you've reaffirmed it there. So, moving to Europe is quite critical to, for that uh, and racing. And and from your you know your career stats, you sort of followed the, the the usual route. Except you also raced in sports cars before Formula One, and actually that's sort of being commonplace now. Is that's the thing that a lot of Formula One drivers go off and do after their Formula One careers. Yeah. So. What was that sports car journey like for you pre Formula One? And, and how do you look back on that? Obviously, we had the, you had that notorious crash in, in the Mercedes car, which completely mm. flipped. Uh, talk mm. us about the sports car experience.
2: Well, mate, that was really my, my hand was forced on that one, to be honest, because I was doing Formula Three at the time and um, I just won the, the Formula Three race in, at Brands Hatch. And we had no real sponsors on the car. I was sponsored by Yellow Pages in Australia. Remember them, Yellow Pages? Oh yeah, they were the days. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So yeah, so they were sponsoring me. Um, Dad put a little bit in, but after four races, we had no money left. We were done, finished, because we had to buy the car and the engine, and of course. You know, and I hadn't had any crashes, but I was just, you know, we were third in the championship, I think, and it was Jackie Stewart's team with the business. You know, Jackie had these ballistic engines from Honda, which was awesome, uh, which I still wind him up to this day about. Um, Mm -hmm. But in terms of um, the sports car situation, so I had a phone call from Norbert Haag, who was the boss of Mercedes Benz Motorsport at the time in Stuttgart, and uh, at the house in Aylesbury, um, and he said that. What? How did this work? So yeah, Gerhard Berger was ill, I think, or yeah, Guard was ill. Alex Birch was the test driver for Benetton. Alex was racing this Mercedes sports car. So there's this sequence of events where people had to move up one slot, and naturally I had to move up 18 slots. It's like, well, mate, what are you ringing me for? Like I'm doing Formula Three now. I was doing Formula Four six months ago, and now you want to drive this CLK, you know, frigging V12, seven point four liter, six hundred eighty horsepower weapon i'm like well this is a bit early i think um but we kept conversation going and i said look i'd love to do a test and i'd love to stay in touch i mean clearly it was a great opportunity for me but it was a, it was a, a bit of a fork in the road where financially it was very good for me not in terms of my you know back pocket in terms of them paying me it was it was it was a horrendous contract in in terms of my my my, my financial situation but i was being paid, which was phenomenal, you know, I didn't have to bring sponsorship to a team, and they were happy to pay for the rest of my Formula Three season, which was sensational. So that was a very, very big leg up from from for what um, you know Mercedes did for me there, and that was brilliant. Um, so I went to do sports cars. Um, I learnt a lot off Bern Schneider; who was an absolute legend. I did a lot of tie testing for Bridgestone. You know, all these basic things um, that you, you 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 I had exposure to. At that age, was tremendous for my Formula One career because I had to learn, you know, of course, from Formula Three to those types of that type of technology using um, telemetry, all those type of things were was great. So it was in in essence, it was a it was a very very productive move for me financially to have to not find any more sponsorship anymore because I only had to find sponsorship for basically sixteen months in Europe. So I did the first year wow. of Formula, Four and then I had I had I was I was off the hook. Uh, in 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 May in my in my second season in Europe. So otherwise it was of course all over. I mean we did not yeah. have. We didn't have the firepower probably to all, who knows
0: but um well you you had one of your one yeah. of your sources of funding um we read was through a man who i despised i'm not afraid to say it in my teens because he was the guy who terrorized uh the england rugby team's backline yeah you, you, fantastic you, you, stuff oh, yeah hey, honestly it, it, i don't that man it, he tormented me david Campese. What, what's the relationship yeah. with him and how did he help um, well, he grew up in the same town that I grew up in, in Queensland as well,
2: so my father knew him. And I remember driving my B-Rage 1.1 Fiesta to Heathrow, parking up out the front, just steaming in, knowing the Wallabies were flying back to Australia. You know, finding Campo, I had a little sponsorship proposal and said, mate, you know, can you keep the dream alive somehow? Because he's a guy, you know, he's mercurial, he's, he's, he's clearly, you know, well before his time, he was a visionary with his own sport in terms of professionalism and, yeah. you know, stretching and fitness and that's why he, just, it was, he was so good at what he did uh, in that period. He went amateur to pro and he was pro all the time. So he flew home that long flight back to Sydney and when he landed, he said, yeah, I'll give you a, a bit of sponsorship, which was awesome, you know, and we've enjoyed a great relationship to this day. Uh, clearly, I paid him back um, and it was it was a, yeah. So they're the type of characters which, because they've been in the arena, they know what you're trying to do. Um, And that gave me a sense of purpose and energy, too, around having someone that was, it was a friendly, yes, but it was also someone that had been, that had an illustrious career. And there was just even more at stake for me to deliver, having someone showing the the belief he has in me. But I had to go out there and and deliver in his style, too, you know, make sure
1: I made my presence felt. Mm. And you clearly delivered enough in your junior career to warrant that Formula One opportunity, which came about in 2002 with Minardi. Uh, how did that present itself? How did it all come together?
2: Well, it was actually Eddie Jordan that introduced me to Paul Stoddard. So I was hassling Eddie for a test drive in uh, in 99, 2000, around there, because um, Damon was coming to the end of his career as well. I am just like, Eddie, just give me a run in something, just give me a drive, you know. And Eddie was... You no, know, he was he was great. Uh, he was frustratingly great because it was hard to get through to him. But I think one day I even tried to follow him in the car, try to follow him to a petrol station and basically just you know just smash him when he got out of his car at a petrol station and tell him just give me a chance. So um I did stalk him out for a while um and got. Sp- you know, beat his PA basically, but um, yeah, it <laughs> was super. Brilliant. Um, name passes me right now, but she wanted to do great things as well, which is typical Eddie. A lot of the people that work with him at the time are doing great things now. But um, yeah, so Stoddy, I got introduced to Stoddy, and then he um, he gave me the chance to drive the former Three Thousand car. Um, and I did former Three Thousand and and and, and race out with him, and then it all went full circle back again to to having the opportunity to Stoddy saying, "Well, we've got a we've got a seat." in F1 but it's only for two races and it's like well hang on okay well of course I mean I've got no cards on the table here yes of course I'll do it because um, Stoddy was just desperate for funding he needed sponsorship from the drivers and they were the worst team on the grid as we know in terms of performance mm-hmm. not in terms of culture and passion it was awesome but So I did Melbourne, and that went really well, obviously, um, and finished in the top five. And that was old points back then, not like they hand them out now for everyone just to finish ten laps behind get a point. But um, you know, so um, you know, I um, yeah, find you. I did get I did get lapped a lot that day, by the way. But um, yeah, so it was it was um, a tremendous day. And Stoddy said, "Look, you can drive for the rest of the year." So I think that that performance obviously you know gained him several million pounds. um, Of sponsorships and that was
0: enough what, what was the uh, obviously driving a Formula 1 car I expect is a very visceral experience the, the first time you sat in an F1 car in those early 2000s or it may have been before what, what was it like can you sort of remember the feelings that you were going through yeah Tim it's just it's just the weight the power
2: to weight is the biggest thing you just, you've just you just never driven anything like like it before just knowing how and you've still got the, every, the seating position is very similar to to a to a former 3000 car, which at the time was a step below Formula 1. Um, even though in former 3000, then you had a gearbox, so you had three pedals, so you, had a, you had a clutch on the floor, not on the steering wheel. Um, so that's the first thing you got to get used to is, is having the clutch up on the steering wheel and then two pedals left foot brake and, and not to the throttle. But ergonomically, it's a, it's not a big departure from what you're used to, but you you just leave the pits and you're like – and you just feel like this thing is just – it just weighs nothing, it's just so light, and the power is immense. So you just having to the frame rate of you, you know, the, the calibration of accepting the new speeds. Uh, you know, the first half an hour is a real insult on your on your senses. You know, you just got to really get used to, um, and that's before you've even touched the brakes. You know, and trying to get this car on the limit and and up on its tippy toes. Is not easy, but um, I think that you, at that point, a lot of people have driven F1 cars. Well, a lot of people have tried. You know, professional professional guys have got to that point. But I really do think that how you lock onto those things in the first two or three hours often can still be it can make or break you. Mm. You have to you have to try and strap this thing on your back, and you've got to try and be in charge as quick as possible. And I think a lot of people can't do that. Mm-hmm. It's just something, it just, it's just quite overwhelming. They never quite get ahead of the car. Yeah. It's always the car is ahead of them. But if you get ahead of the car, then you start to be in charge of it. Then you can start to give correct feedback. And then you start to get on the right curve of what I'm actually doing here. Because if you come in just punch drunk going, you know, how's the run, man? What would I to do with the car? And it's like, well, actually, the car's still driving me. You know, I've got no idea really what I'm, you know. So... It's their big moments
1: to drive an F1 car for the first time, mate. Yeah, huge moment. Yeah, mm-hmm. I suppose that's why there are, well, to this day, there are only 20 odd drivers that make it to uh, the grid each year. It seems criminal to skip over parts of your Formula One career, but there is so much. Um... No, I mean crack <laughs> on. And we Fine. can buy your book as well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, well, you went on from Minardi, you joined Jaguar, and then you moved over to Williams, to, you know, big store. Manufacturer teams, great history. And then 2007, Red Bull come knocking. Um, What was the Red Bull journey like? Obviously, that was where you spent, I suppose, the majority of your Formula 1 career. How did it all kick off? When did those first talks happen? It was actually, uh, yes, the
2: middle of 06, Mm. that um, things were starting to to slide away at at Williams in terms of the relationship, and and I wanted to, to go somewhere different. Um, and I think they wanted me to leave as well. Um, so between the pair of us, it was it was uh, it was just uh, you know time time to to to, to finish the marriage. Um, and I think they had two new drivers actually in, in 07 Williams did. I think I think Verzi might Alex might have went there. I'm not sure. Anyway, um, but Red Bull, which was a big you know well sort of a risk because you know DC had been there for a little uh, a little phase already. Adrian knew he was there, which was clearly important. Um, and, and and a lot of us were still not aware of, of Dietrich Mateschitz's vision on this one. We didn't really see where the the tail of this great journey was going to be with Red Bull. But we, well, when I say we, Flavio Briatore, Flavio Scidimento, these these guys are going to do it properly. Um, and and also, man, I didn't have a huge amount of options to be honest. It was like, yeah, it looks it looks cool. I need a refresh. Like actually, I was I wasn't really enjoying my work. Um, anymore uh, as much as I, I believe I should have been. Um, and then I went there and I was like, my God, this is like such a breath of fresh air. And I really started to enjoy it. And um, so, yeah, and then and then it just kept the culture, the, the sort of we jagged a few podiums and then it just kept improving the scenario when the regulations come Adrian's way, he could design a car around the terms that he wanted as well. Mm. Um, and... Was, Could you
1: sense the the success and the vast success that was to come when you first joined?
2: No, I think that was, I mean, we had, they they headhunted well. I mean, they had a lot of individuals in there that had had great success and winning world championships from design through to operational in the pit lane, through to strategy, through to, you know, lots of, uh, lots of uh, key positions. The pillars of those were born out of a good, a good recruitment process. But uh, as we know you know putting a bunch of individuals together is 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 fine you've got to then glue that together and and, and have that consistently you know born out and, and design a brilliant racing car a reliable racing car the best racing car in the field so um i think we all you know i mean we look back now and say yeah that's that's how red bull do things they are basically the best they have been and are, and are the, the best in the in in the segment whatever they do whether it's athletes or whether it's you know with, formula one team or lots of things that surfing whatever they've done Mm. so many extraordinary things um and the brand grew with f1 in parallel right it was like it was it was together so that was bloody awesome yeah
0: it's an incredible brand and like you say the brand grew with it i think that was a classic a really good case of successful formula one sponsorship a quick
1: interruption of the show to remind you to check out our season five podcast sponsors motus one the event transportation company Motus One is the industry leader in complex transportation management. From hospitality, talent, production crews, VIPs and artist transportation, Motus One's team have you covered. They've also just launched their leading-edge cloud-based event transportation management system, Motus Ride. Now you can manage your entire event transport program digitally, making bookings, allocate rides, create approval processes, see reports, track costs and loads more. Head over to Motus1.com and hear how they can support your event transportation needs.
0: But Now listen, there's obviously a lot of interesting um, aspects to your Red Bull career, some of which we'll, we'll touch on shortly in the next segment. But first, I would like to introduce you to a very important moment in the podcast. And you may have won nine Grand Prix. We know all that, but this is your highlight. This is the one I will hand over to my illustrious colleague to introduce you to the Motor Mouth Quiz. <laughs> Yeah, it's going to be disappointment from here, Mark. Um,
1: So this is the hardest quiz in motorsport. It's called Motor Mouths. We have got four clips for you that we're going to play you. They're all to do with you and your career. And you simply have to say or hear what you see and hear. Um, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions after each clip. uh, and And it's what, where, and when, basically. At the moment, the leaderboard is about 40, 40... Notches long, um, and Dilbag Gill, the boss of the Mahindra team, is actually at the top at the moment, with 14. Uh, I think you're going to want to beat people like. Brendan Hartley, he's in third right now, 12.5 points. Uh, we've got, um, uh, where's uh, Mr. Sebastian Buemi's in 17th? David Coulthard, 10 points, uh, 20th position though. Oh. It's, it's, really, it's a competitive leaderboard. So if you can get, mm. I'd say, I think, well, let's aim for 10 and then, then you can beat DC and then anything Beautiful. above that. So how many questions are there? There are four questions and oh, one four, okay. bonus. Righto. Each question uh, is worth three points, and the bonus question is worth one point. Are you ready to hear your first clip? Yeah. Okay. Play it, Tim.
0: Here it comes. Going to retirement. I'm vomiting. Going vomiting.
1: I'm going to drive. Understood. Okay. So what's going on there, Mark? Yeah. So I'm vomiting in my helmet. I'm in Japan.
2: Fuji. <laughs> oh, uh, eight.
1: Ooh, seven. 08. Oh oh wait oh okay and I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt on that. Here. That's yeah. Yeah. three points in the bag. There were so many we we put out on our, our Instagram um people to uh, some fans to ask you questions. So many people want to know what it was like chucking up in your helmet while doing a grand prix.
2: Yeah, it was pretty average. Um <laughs> I, had, I had um I had well food poisoning the night before. Um and I even before I went to bed my tummy was getting a bit, a bit mm. tired I'm like okay this is interesting and then like three or four o'clock in the morning I'm like I'm up and it's just like you know it's mm. it's on um and I it was pouring rain outside which doesn't really much much of the story but it's just like it's gloomy like when you got mm. food poisoning it's gloomy you're outside going yeah it's going to be so I got to the track and I spoke to christian only christian i said to christian i'm not feeling that great but if you could ask bernie no i don't want to do the driver parade i just need to get some fluids in if i can and he said yeah no worries bernie was cool with that so i just stayed in my room and tried to get some fuel in get some energy in my get some calories in because i would have to do the race and this is where the body's amazing because it you know it was i was just starting to hold stuff down and i went to get ready to get in the car on the grid so i'd taken the car to the grid i got out and not, none of the team members knew that. I didn't tell any of the team because I don't – like it's not their issue. It's my issue. I've got to deal with it. Um, and Christian knew, and like up to tells, but I've told him, you know, just to keep it confidential. So before I'm about to put my helmet on, the body just goes, you're about to do something for two hours, aren't you? And I'm like, well, probably in my head, yeah. So this has got this – there's two voices in my head going, you know, you're about – so I'm just about to put it on and literally just on the grass. I'm like beside the track. I'm like going again on the grass. And I think <laughs> – and all the Renault engineers and the, and the guys are like God Mark's a bit nervous today. He looks a bit <laughs> so um, yeah. Anyway, so I did. I was really sick before I got in the car, and then yeah, and then sitting. The biggest thing is is vomiting sitting upright. <laughs> that is not easy. So next time, if you want to try it, just uh, pull the balaclava on, put a helmet on, sit up, sit in your chair,
1: give it a go. Oh, oh, oh. Wise words, great advice there, Mark. Thank you very much. Either way, it gets you three points in the bag. Uh, we'll move on from uh, sick chat to clip number two, please, Timothy. Here we go.
2: <laughs> yep.
1: yep I think he's excited I was yeah, playing you know, that in my kitchen yesterday and uh, one of yeah. my family goes, oh, who's that? He sounds pretty happy. <laughs> that's last night with my wife. <laughs> 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 yeah. No, thank you. No, no, no. Um, yeah, uh, well, God,
2: 2009 Germany. First yeah,
1: win. your first win. Incredible. Yeah. I
2: think that's the last corner, I started talk, That's like in the last corner because always with these audio clips are always delayed. And mm. that was... Basically, I started. I, I opened the radio in the last corner. I did it all down the front straight. I was in the first second. and I think I
1: ran out of oxygen. <laughs> you had like a drive-through penalty as well for that, that for that race, didn't you? And yet you still yeah, you still it won. Was, it was funny, like off the line,
2: not a bad start. And then actually, and Ruben, Ruben and I have laughed about this in because I actually was because the way I had the mirror set up, which I did for my whole career, I was I thought I actually can't really see him so I'm sort of like moving across I was actually moving across and then what made it made it look really really bad when I touched him I completely shit myself because I didn't how far up the side he was so far up beside me we touched and we basically just went we we, we pulled each other. we pulled so fast away from each other that it made it look like we made huge contact actually the contact was super light it was actually just we blended across and and it was more braille than I saw him you know touch like yeah, shoot mm. myself. Turn hard left on the straight, and then
1: the stewards sort, "Yeah, give me a drive through." So we did a different strategy and still won, which was nice. Exactly. Well, and what a, a memorable moment that was! And it gets you three more points. Looking oh, good. Looking very good. Let's go for uh, clip number three, please. Here we go. I'm feeling going to get trickier.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think it'll be okay. Maybe here it comes.
2: Multi twenty one. Sir. Yeah,
1: multi twenty one. <laughs> the trouble is with you Mark that all your um, your team ready clips they are so synonymous with some sort of big event yeah. <laughs> so
0: yeah. we couldn't
2: leave this out <laughs> there was always something kicking off wasn't there yeah uh, yes
1: that's Malaysia 2013 yeah and the Notorious
0: yeah. Multi-21. Uh, yeah. I mean, we, we couldn't do the podcast without bringing it up. I do apologise. I'm sure you're bored of talking about it. But, you know, you had a young, hungry teammate. This happened. It should have been car two in front of car one, hence Multi-21. It wasn't. How did you feel at the time? What was the relationship like with Seb after that? And how is it now? Um, well, I felt,
2: of course, it was. it was really... Disappointing in terms of we we had a really actually a super fair briefing before the race that you know because we were on the back on the back foot against Merck that weekend we thought it was actually going to be a really really hard race for us to win um, and we got ourselves in a position to 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 be one two um, having to be frank nearly sheltered Sebastian round some of the stops to be honest because Lewis was putting a lot of heat on him and and uh, it gave him he had the, the more optimal laps if you like in terms of that and then we ended up being down the road a little bit which was nice i think Merck was starting to run a bit lean on fuel and and so we were about to close it off and then all of a sudden you know it started to kick off so um little regret i should have turned my engine back up and 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 fought it hard but i just see my instinct i'm just like well that's what we've agreed um i want to race as fair as possible to the flag um which obviously said in his eyes had different ideas um Relationship now is very good Sebastian. We get on really well. Um, it was challenging at the time, clearly. Um, but we had a lot of there was a lot of undercurrents, you know, whether it was from 09 in Turkey or some strategy stuff, Barcelona, you know, where there were so many subplots. Budapest qualifying lap where it said oh, it was my turn to go first, he went first, which pissed me off. So there's lots of things which still aren't in the media to this day, but um that's just what it was. And 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 multi-twenty-one was was a a snapshot of you know and Seb said that you know he was furious with um with Brazil the year before Russia helped him out and whatnot so it is what it is mate um mm-hmm. ultimately we get on now. Um, it was more I'd made my decision. I'd signed for Porsche by then I was gone yeah. anyway. So yeah. I was I was I was out of there. Um, but um yeah it was it
0: was uh times. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. well you're doing pretty well. Harry, should we move on to the final well, final radio clip. And this then, is your
1: final radio clip before your bonus question. Slightly harder if you get another question. three, you're looking to absolutely smash DC out of the park. So let's go for Good.
0: clip number four. Here we go. Fantastic guys. Stop there for number two driver. <laughs> <laughs> Punchy.
2: Yeah, yeah, that was
1: another
0: another weekend. Um
2: yeah, two <laughs> thousand 10 British Grand Prix um, yeah. On. so yeah we had some equipment issues in the build up to that race and um, yeah so I wasn't feeling best pleased in the build up but um, yeah got a brilliant start for once and um, did the job and unfortunately Sebastian got a puncher the first corner off Lewis because I might have went through the first corner a bit slower than I needed to um, and uh, yeah that was that um, and I've got that car I have oh,
1: I have oh wow Okay. That yeah, that's so good. Uh, was that the um, the Grand Prix where I can't remember, but there was a post race press conference where obviously something had happened, and you have a, a lengthy glass of water and then slowly yes, smash yes. it right down onto the table. That
2: was the press conference. Yeah, that was the press conference after Quali because I was furious. Oh yes. Said got by like. Uh, attempt to qualify and um, I just said they should ask the team you know, whatever so that was, yeah. oh, that, was just... that but uh, my head quickly my head was already in
1: Sunday by that point yeah no I just love that it was the power move that got me okay <laughs> three more points on that You're looking good here's your bonus question now this is where it gets a bit tricky for you um, how many points did you achieve in your final F1 season and if you get within 20 you can have the full point
0: Oh, we've
1: got Jesus. it. We've got
0: okay. it. Um, 13. God. Tough one. It is a tough one. Tough. Like within,
1: within 20, though, you could probably have a decent stab in the dark. Yeah, I'm going to. Uh, <laughs> it was
2: not a great year. Um, well,
1: I don't think it was too bad, was it? Um, no, I don't think so. You finished third in the championship overall. Yeah. So, uh, 170. Oh, oh, so close. So if close. you said 179, you could have had it, but you have got 199 points that season. Oh, did I?
2: Okay. Yeah,
1: not too shabby. You're doing yourself an injustice there. I'm afraid really, I cannot yeah. give you the yeah. bonus point. No, but that does rack you up to a solid 12 points, which Ooh. puts you half a point below Brendan Hartley in oh. uh, this Place not too shabby. How did Don Nicky style get half a point? Uh, because well, how did he get half a point? I, was, I think I might have asked him a question on his hair or something like that, and felt sorry for him. Oh, he would have uh, argued. Uh, he would have argued it for sure. He would oh have yeah. He wasn't letting them go down without a fight. But uh, Mark Webber,
0: thank you for playing Motor Mouth. Well done. No worries. The highlight of your career. Now, let, let's switch our attention to World Endurance Championship. You drove for a great team, clearly, alongside a certain Kiwi and Brendan Hartley, who's obviously been a guest of the podcast before, and Timo Bernhardt. How easily did you find that switch from Formula One to LMP1? And what are the differences you can point out between the formats from a driving perspective?
2: Mate, better than I thought. I was, I was in terms of enjoyed it more than I thought I would um, because I was the right age to be over myself egotistical, e- egotistically and just want to share as much of the success as we could as a team. Yeah. Um, and that was down to uh, – Timo was great because he was the endurance guy to actually, you know, give us all the right medicine on how we should construct the car and, and sort of the methodology around, you know, being successful in endurance racing – Brendan was great on the tech side, Um, you know, being young and, you know, the car was quite complicated and I just did a bit of driving really. So it was pretty easy for me, Um, but I really enjoyed it. We had a good time. Um, You know, the team was brilliant in, in terms of its inception, in terms of, you know, building the team together, a lot of different cultures and nationalities. Yes, we had a great budget, but you've still got to go there and beat Audi and beat, teams which are, are, are very organized so um yeah sharing a car is a big component of endurance racing you've got to get on really well you've got to be uber uber transparent and they've got to be extremely trustworthy um you know that car is four-wheel drive um formula one is, is rear-wheel drive obviously that has a lot of power the 919 hybrid nearly thousand horsepower um on its day Uh, Of course, you drive it at night. You have, you know, the the envelope of the car is so different. It's a much easier car to drive in the limit than a Formula 1 car because Mm. that's sports cars are. They have to be easier to drive in the limit, but it's still a big skill uh, to be able to do that. Thread your way through traffic and, I mean, all the big shunts we've seen are basically guys trying to thread thread their way through traffic, which is real art. Yeah. And... Pretty similar to my F one career. I never scratched cars. When I crashed them, I destroyed them. So um yeah. <laughs> well done you. Uh, I did it properly. So um yeah, I didn't uh, a little funny it was a lot of funny story, but Brendan going to the track the year that I crashed in, in fourteen um, in Brazil, going to the track that morning, I take I could take it to the spot right now on the bridge driving up to the up to the track there and in into Lagos. And Brendan said, No one's had a big shunt in this car yet like oh. so mate, just don't I even to say. say that why and Timo and I went to kill him. He said, Well, you know, no, but it's like it's true. Yeah, I know it is, mate, <laughs> but at some point it, it 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 probably will happen. We've got a long way to go with this program, and then sure enough in the afternoon I was in a helicopter going to hospital. So Oh Christ. But great times, uh, great brands, obviously Porsche, you know, exceptional record at Lamar. Um, and a brilliant, brilliant legacy. We just played another small part in what is a tremendous, um, library of, of, of brilliant victories and dramatic events that the brand has gone through at that, at that tough. Tough in you.
0: Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. No, it's a, such a cool series as well. Big fan of of Weck. Now, listen, um, we're coming towards the end, so there's a few questions that we're really keen um, to shoehorn in. Um, one is um, about Lewis Hamilton. So, um, we had a guest on the show, Connor Daly, the IndyCar driver, um, a few weeks ago. We were talking about modern F1 and the, the pros and cons of it, um, and talking about um, the capability of Lewis. and And was he as good as everyone thinks? Is he the greatest of all time? As we record this, he's obviously set an incredible record. of of wins 92 wins overtaking um, Michael Schumacher but Connor Daly one of the things he said was you put me or half of the uh, IndyCar grid in that Mercedes and we will be as quick as Lewis Hamilton agree or disagree absolute bullshit (laughs) I thought you might say that
2: as quick I mean yeah there's a lot of guys out there so give me that car and I'll do the same job well they, they just won't they won't do the same job. He is better than them. Um, and they're delusional to think that that's like that. I mean, it is. And it's down to there might be a lap in testing. Yeah, I was like Kovalein and every now and again was there, or whatever, you know, with Michael, Eddie Irvine, and yes, every now and again they were. But, you know, Roger Federer every now and again does serve a double fault, doesn't he? Or he does get beaten in a, in a match in round two somewhere as well, Whatever. Consistently, these guys are on another level. They just—if it's raining, if it's a qualifying lap, if it's mixed conditions, if it's a short session, if it's a—if it's a tough long Grand Prix in Singapore, if it's Malaysia, if it's a heat, if it's whatever—they will find a way to graft out a win. Um, and I have a lot of respect for Conor Daly, um, but like me, he's not as consistent as these, as these guys. Just—he's just not. Um, and they. Uh, when I say they, it was Michael Lewis, whatever you think about, the Jackie Stewart's, the loudest, the cross, the, the Fangio's, or, you know, the greats of our sport, Senna's. I mean, Senna was, you know, he was probably the fastest, wasn't he? I mean, like, it's, it's hard to know. I never raced him and I've only spoke to people that worked with him, but um, he was extraordinarily quick and, and was he quicker than Lewis? Probably, yes, but um, was, he, was he more complete? It's, it's you know... Mm. I use the analogy, yes, because we've all done a lot of interviews about who's the greatest and Lewis has obviously treated a lot of thoughts on this, which is a very fair very, very discussion to have. But it's like, you know, it's a World War II fighter pilot and you've got a guy flying, a, you know, an old Spitfire and a guy flying an F-18 now. It's just different. You know, you can't – the guys, what they did back in the Spitfires was extraordinary. They were going over there, coming back. Not sure they're going to come back. And there's a lot of things which are similar to car racing. There's a lot of fatalities. In in are not are not in any way suggesting that what the what happened in the war was 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 competing in a car race. It's not. It's it's, it's much more serious than that. And car racing is not at that level. But I'm just saying the consequences were were a lot more real back then in yeah. the 70s. The guys were had to be more precise. Um, and the people that weren't as precise, unfortunately, they might have paid the full consequence on that um, the technology was low now the technology is high you know um, was, was a Jackie Stewart going to embed himself in the technology like he, like Lewis Hamilton does mm-hmm. probably yes we don't know But the, or, or, or or vice versa how would Jackie go at the Nürburgring uh, sorry Lewis go in, in a tear on the Nürburgring you can't that? make a direct
1: it, comparison it's impossible
2: is it very very challenging but what we do know about Lewis is you know he is you know I mean give me a weakness, any weakness that he has over Michael. Mm. I don't know what that weakness is. I'm happy to be challenged with it, but I don't know what that weakness what that column is. I don't know what doesn't select his teammates. Um brilliant in all conditions, as was Michael.
1: Um perhaps uh, so you could argue maybe he's he's got more of a calmer head than Michael now. That's right, yeah.
2: yeah How often then. has he been to the Stewards? Wheel to wheel, I mean there's a lot of us that it was it was quite you know Michael could have been a bit unpredictable at times. Michael uh, Lewis is extremely predictable, in a great way. Yeah. You know, he's mm-hmm. going to push the boundaries to the limits. He's going to do it again, like Leclerc last year. That was extraordinary with him and Monza. Lewis did everything he could through the kitchen sink at, against the Ben Ferrari, by the way. Mm. But he did what he could, and Leclerc was outside the limits. But Lewis, after the race, all fair, all good, you know, and mm. and that was it. So he's. Extremely, he has that little bit of pross woven in there too. He's actually fair, yeah. very fair guy. Wheel
1: He's a perfect blend of, of racing driver. You know, so you?
2: he is. He is. You know, and I'm not here. You know, on on, on the Lewis Hamilton channel. I'm just saying that the guy <laughs> is hard to.
0: Yes. Yeah. Do, people bang on about that. Do you, think, do, do you think we would ever see some, you know, you, you mentioned Leclerc there and obviously Verstappen, two sort of teammate killers, if you like. You know, they they seem, it doesn't matter who their teammates are, they they seem to outperform them consistently. Yep. Do you think we'll ever see them come through to the levels that and consistency that, that we've seen from Lewis?
2: Um I think, I mean, Charles could. uh, I think that he's got that just that little bit more composure than than Max. Um, We know Max is, again, I mean, Max Verstappen is so good for our sport and he's – all three of those guys are are, are, are why I still – by the way, I didn't watch the race on the weekend, but um, I still watch. I watch the first few laps and then it starts to calm down. So, yeah, I watch it because of some of those guys. Um, And Verstappen – Is still we still see that 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 sort of rush of blood and that that sort of uh, the 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 composure factor is still coming, Um, and they will. But what's interesting on the record front is with the change of regulation in twenty two, mate. If we have a a more spread of results, um, then those records are going to be hard to beat, Mm. Um, and that's maybe a possibility. But it's hard to put a budget cap on culture. You know, if you've got the right people. Ultimately, we saw Toyota all those years ago come with a billion euros and yeah. they, 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 they could win a chook raffle.
1: Yep. You know? um, mm. yeah. Now, before we get on to our final three questions uh, that we're going to chuck at you, I just want to get your thoughts. Obviously, as an Aussie driver, I imagine you have a, a one eye on Dan Ricciardo at all times. Um, what are your thoughts on him and his season at the moment and obviously moving on to McLaren next year? And then are there any uh, young Aussies we need to be on the lookout for? Really, you don't know about Oscar Piastri? Yeah, I mean, I absolutely do. But I was hoping you'd lead me there. <laughs> <laughs> Good
2: um, Daniel's been one of the best performers this year. Uh, I think he's driven really, really well. Um, and I still see it as a bit of a waste for F1 that he's he's in he's not at the front week in week out. You know, we, we need those type of characters. Uh, he he brings a lot to the sport. He's he's brilliant on Sundays. Um, naturally, you know, is there another tenth in qualifying? There might be um, from someone else, but is he on Sundays? Wow, Daniel is his top draw, um, and that's you know, it's a real shame that that he's that. You know, I still want him to stay at a Red Bull, and I think that would have been some some great times um, in the last few years. And but I'm, I'm, I think the, red, the 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 McLaren move, you know, with with the Merck in the back. Could be could be a nice little move, um, as long as they you know again go again. I think James James K James Key throws his first real car big you know the big you know in terms of the concept. And um, twenty one would be his his baby. So hopefully they design a, a weapon. I know there's a lot of carryover from 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 this year, anyway. it's pretty static to a degree. So they can't change a huge amount, but there'll be some things they can. <laughs> so yes, I'm optimistic, mate. I hope that he can do a great job there. But we're still talking about on the fringe of podiums you know um and that's yeah it is what it is but
1: i think i think we all know daniel's capable of more mm, absolutely and then as we mentioned oscar piastri is uh, yeah. uh, the next one to watch i suppose of australian hot talent absolutely dominating the junior formulas and showing real good pace when do you think we we can see him in, in f1 and where do you think his chance will come if it will come
2: yeah. Um, we had a great year in F3, as you say, mm-hmm. this year. He won that in his first season. Um, very calculated, very measured. It was a tough season for lots of all the guys because it was pretty condensed um, and he had a few, you know, they all had different technical challenges here and there, had a few stewards things here and there as well. So, ultimately, he did drive a very smart, clever championship and got the job done. Um, he's testing this Friday in the F1 car in Bahrain, which is awesome. He's going to drive the um, RS18 which will be a big moment for him that's going to be his first half an hour as I say that sort of frame rate moment so I'm really proud that he's going to go through that um, and then Formula 2 next year so i which which team yet um, but I think that he's he's um, got the eye of the tiger a real dark horse you know he's actually just you know he just he sneaks up on you just gets these results and he's like well you know it's not um, you know the car's always straight comes back you know I mean touch wood again we just spoke about the Brennan Hartley story but he, he's very he's very um measured with how he, how he goes about it and very analytical and I think that he'll, he, he's will he got a very very bright future because um, he's hard to ruffle and um, that's, that's a great thing that's a great quality to have to have that level of composure at, at this age and the speed you know he's, he can he can dissect the race in his head very very well and he executes on
1: that well Mm, There's some exciting promising. huge new talent coming through in the next few years to add to the already incredibly young grid, I suppose, that's happening. Um, okay, final three questions for you, Mark, and then we will let you go. Um, Tim, do you want to kick off with the first one? Yeah, sure. What's got you
0: excited at the moment?
2: Um, excited at the moment? Um, riding my motorbike, actually. Mm. Yeah. What have you got? Um, I've got a BMW 1250 Adventure bike. Yeah, GSA. So, yeah, that's... That's uh, that's cool. I love taking that out. Um, and on the weekend, I'm in Austria doing some good stuff over there. So yeah, I've got some yeah hobbies. I like my I like my recreational hobbies, mate. Um, they keep me they keep me uh, they keep it real.
0: <laughs> and Oscar, of course, is you know I guess it's it's exciting to see what what he's going to do in the future. Harry, oh, did you want uh, did you want a racing answer? no, you want a no it could be anything at all. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. Well, of course. Yeah. I mean, Oscar. I mean, some
2: of the answers coming through is great. Um, I'm more excited about that than the current grid because I mean, a lot of those guys are race, so I don't really, you know, not excited about those guys too much. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's good to see the Charles of these worlds and, and Max, and um, of course, and you know, Lewis doing the record and all the rest of it. Um, but yeah, and also Motor GP. I have not. I've been so bad this year at following that. It's been such a great year to follow it. I right hear, but. Um, with Valentino not refiring and, mm. and, and Marquez out. Um, I really haven't had the urge, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, we need to get a MotoGP rider on the show, Harry. That's a priority. No, no. Uh, over we, to need you for to, we need two. to follow it more. Um, if you
1: hadn't of become a racing driver and gone on to achieve all you've done, what would you have done?
2: Um, probably I did my plumbing apprenticeship. Oh, right. So, um... Yeah, so that was pretty invigorating. Um
1: and then and yeah, so that was my backup. I mean, whatever, yeah. yeah. I mean was, Well there, as you said, there was no plan B, I suppose. And then you no, don't you don't need uh, you, you can't have no. a plan B if you're gonna make it. No. Uh, That's right.
2: I was very, very naive. I just uh this has just gotta happen. Um, and I did people's heads in. I made phone calls and I was very, very stubborn on that one until it did unfortunately, or well, fortunately, but yeah for them. Um I don't know, mate, I would have I wouldn't have come to Europe. I mean, the career wouldn't have got me over here. I would have, I would have stayed in Australia, and and who knows what. Um, And probably, I don't have kids, so I probably would have had some of those, Um, some of those pesky things. Had a normal. It, yeah, increase my carbon footprint by having three kids. So yeah. I don't have, I don't have any kids. So I can, I can do my carbon footprint how I like. Yeah, just doing a bit for the environment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, final
0: That's question, right. final question for you, Mark. And uh, it, it is, what are you scared of? And this could be anything we've had some weird and wonderful answers on this very what's weird the answer. weirdest one you've had so the weirdest one we've had a few but I'd, I'd say Crofty was was up there he's got a weird phobia of tea bags we had another one who's got the same phobia as me which is this fear of tiny 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 holes um, that could it just makes my skin shiver even now I'm starting to feel weird about it um, See,
1: one of my favorite ones was Sebastian Boemi being deathly afraid of sharks because sharks. I just love the fact that he's come across a few in his in his life and in Switzerland
0: Freddie Hunt son of the Late, great James Hunt couldn't even tell us what it was. You got too choked. So, um, over to you.
2: Yeah, um, these have both been quite late. Later in my life, I mean, I'm halfway now. If I get to ninety, I'll be happy. Um, so, I was definitely not um, claustrophobic when I was young. You know, I used to get in all sorts of, you know, tidy areas and cupboards and and, and boots of cars. I, my, actually, my dad used to pick me up from school. I used to get in the back of the – in the boot of the car. He used to drive me home in the boot of the car. You know? So um, I used to thought that was awesome. But now, I'm not – I don't know if it's because I've had so many racing environments where I've got all the gear on helmet. Yeah. I've got mechanics in there. right? So I'm not, I'm not big on tight spaces anymore or getting uh-huh. myself – into a position where i can't really move too much um so that's that's a that's uh that's pretty normal i mean a lot of people have but the weird one is cotton wool
0: whoa hang on a second hold on yeah. there so yeah. cotton wool take us through that <laughs> yes. so i don't like the
2: tearing like pulling cotton wool apart is a weird <laughs> it's actually a weird thing i kind of know what you mean yeah, it's just—it's <laughs> so bizarre. Like, I can deal with a lot of things, and I have dealt with a lot of things. But actually, just the 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 the, the pulling apart and f- the feeling of of that weird—it's just just <laughs> that's bizarre. A, that's a how you one. can hate something. You know, like I'm not scared of snakes and spiders, and you know, I'm, there's a lot of shit that I should be scared of, and I'm not. But and I'm not scared of cotton wool. I'm not saying that. I just <laughs> hate. And if it's wet. You know, of course it's fine. It's lost all of its firepower
1: against me. It. It's gone. <laughs> the it's kryptonite is failed wool in an enclosed space, and that is the Achilles heel of Mark Webber uh, it's, no,
0: it, it's a thing. It's a thing. It's I called it's called it's called, Sid, it's called Sid Sidonglobophobia, fear of cotton wool, but it's a very long word, I'm not pronouncing it right, but it's yeah. an actual thing.
2: No, it's it's I can I can do what I want with it, but just pulling it apart,
0: I just I mean I can do it, but it's just like it's just, <laughs> it's just it's <laughs> I don't like it. Michael Jackson had it. <laughs> oh, bullshit! Yeah. yeah. Wow.
1: Yeah. You share the same phobia as Michael Jackson. Yeah. Now that's some, now that's some, a dinner table
0: conversation. Someone else must have had it yeah. as well. Come on. Uh, it's it's a very rare thing. Apparently, uh, only a handful of people around the world have bullshit. a fear. You uh, up. No, I swear. It, it, it happened late as well like it's I mean I can do it I could probably
2: get some now I mean, yeah. I've got a Christmas singer I don't know why I've got a this, Christmas singer. I want to see this it's just
1: hanging around
2: look, it looks look. like uh, Oh. nearly, oh, that's nearly that's looks cool.
1: Cool, but it's not but oh. <laughs> anyway <laughs> what a way what a way to round off um, the podcast <laughs> I love that that's up there absolute insights there from Mark Webber. Um, Thank you so much for joining us on the Most Mouth Podcast for giving up your time. It's been an absolute pleasure to to, uh, chat all the way through your career and more and get your thoughts on the latest happenings as well. Mark Webber, hopefully we get to chat again soon. Uh, Good luck for the rest of what's involved in your year as well and hopefully uh, we'll see you again soon all the best guys take it easy and um, look forward to getting that moto gp going too before you hop off one final reminder to check out the guys and girls at Motus one your new transportation solution for minor mega and signature events anywhere in the world Motus one simplifies the complex process of event transportation and provides clients with unrivaled service and support to ensure your events transportation needs are fulfilled Check them out today at motorswan.com. And if you tell them you found them through the Motormouth podcast, you'll get up to 20% off your first booking. Now, doesn't that sound good? Thank you so much for listening to the Motormouth podcast. Do make sure you give us a follow on our socials, Twitter at Motormouth underscore, Instagram at Motormouth underscore official, and Facebook. Just search Motormouth. You can download the Motormouth app where you can get exclusive video content from MMTV, create your own social profile to interact with other fans and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy. Don't forget to like, subscribe and review. And until next time, you would be listening to the Motormouth podcast.
0: off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
1: When you make decisions for
0: your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com.